Good morning and welcome to another edition of Mornings with Matthew. I'm Matthew Trageser, and today Preston Hennikins and I will be interviewing senior editor at Conservative Review, Daniel Horowitz, for our Guest Perspective segment. Daniel, welcome to Mornings with Matthew. Great to be with you guys. Appreciate everything you do. Okay, so as we know, last week the president unveiled a new immigration plan to address the nation's immigration crisis. It covered many different facets of immigration policy, but the plan implements a merit-based immigration system, secures the southern border with more fencing, closes asylum loopholes, uh, addresses visa overstays, and includes a lot more um, items. However, the plan does not address uh, mandatory E-Verify, which is a free online workforce verification system that employers use, and it also doesn't reduce the excess levels of legal immigration that we're seeing today. Uh, Ferris called it a numbers-neutral proposal. So, Daniel, um, what are your initial thoughts on this plan, and what areas did you like the most and least about it? Sure. Well, it's a worthy distraction, but a distraction nonetheless. In other words, look, look you take a look at this. On paper, there's nothing not to like. It's only good, albeit maybe not as good as some of us wanted to go, and there's no amnesty. There's nothing bad. It's only enforcement, um, certainly even a numbers-neutral reorientation of visas in terms of the family-based categories. If you're going to have the same numbers, which we would all rather see, you know, uh, the RAISE Act, 40-50% reduction, but if you're going to have the same numbers, we'd rather reorient it towards uh, more high-skilled. That's fine, but the reality is it's a distraction. Um, everyone agrees none of this is going to pass, none of it can pass. As much as many of us are concerned about the numbers of legal immigrants, something has happened in the last 8 to 12 months that I think should shift the debate. We have such a degree of emergency at our border mm-hmm. that that needs to be our full focus. And when you start veering off into long-term issues over visas, which are worthy issues, mm-hmm. it's kind of like talking about a roof in your le- a, a, a leaky roof right. while you have a river flowing into your basement. We, the, the illegal immigration problem at the border is the new problem that's urgent, it's imminent, and it's redressable through areas that don't require Congress. So I just, um, my, my concern is that this is a distraction. Um, and then to just kind of get to the worst aspect, if this is only going to be an aspirational document, mm-hmm. that this is the gold standard, well, Trump already laid down that gold standard in 2017 when he endorsed, uh, endorsed the RAISE Act, which cut the numbers by 40 to 50%. So now you're actually moving that Overton window of acceptability in politics that even the gold standard, as I believe they called it, it's no longer acceptable, even as an aspirational goalpost, to ever cut numbers, even after 50 years of such uh, high levels of immigration. Now, going back to E-Verify, I mean, why don't you think the president explicitly states that he wants it? I mean, in some White House documents that are publicly available, we've seen that uh, there's a bullet there that says, quote, the president's proposal will ensure that all employees are legally authorized to work, end quote, but there's, it, does, it doesn't really explicitly state it. So why do you think he's so opposed to it or he doesn't really mention it at all? Well, look, I think there's been enough credible reports for the last number of years that seem to indicate the president clearly does have issues with it. Mm-hmm. I think he's bought into uh, some business interests, must have gotten to him and have given him this line that this is a cumbersome regulation on business. And I just don't think he's been briefed on how easy it is, how it takes, you know, a couple of minutes and that's it. 
and he he thinks it's another regulation, and he's trying to run, you know, rightfully so, on the legacy of cutting regulations. So I think he kind of feels conflicted on that. You know, what's interesting is, you know, it's a free program. Uh, 750,000 employers use it already, and 99% of employers can basically affirm if, if their employees uh, have work authorization within 24 hours or so. So it's a very fast process, but it, it just it, it seems odd to me that, I mean, but like you said, it, you know, there's reasons why he's not really uh, explicitly stating why he won't have it, but it, it's something that we are certainly looking for, at least going forward, that you know, Congress will, will mandate. Look, it's the linchpin. If you can't work here, if you can't get documents, then you're not going to come. And I, and I think there's something even more foundational than E-Verify that E-Verify does deal with, and that is identity theft. And I think that's really what, where the White House needs to message this, that, you know, this is not some sort of victimless crime, even if you want to put aside, you know, the, the depression in uh, wages. They need Social Security cards to go and work, and often they're stolen. So, a big part of E-Verify, especially um, the old version from Lamar Smith, this is H.R. 3711, it was a previous Congress, so I don't know if anyone has reintroduced it, but you know, this would ensure that Social Security Administration and the IRS would immediately inform anyone when his or her number has been used by someone else and flag other anomalies. Um, and they would you know, immediately stop using that number uh, and and that would prevent identity theft. Hmm. I think that is a very important issue. That's a bipartisan issue. Nobody likes identity theft. And I think that's really a good way of framing the need for E-Verify. Now, overall, I know you've expressed some concern, you know, some um, you know positives about the plan. But do you think it's enough to address the border crisis? I mean, like you said, it, it Congress still needs to implement and pass legislation to you know get these guidelines enacted in law, but what other areas would you like him to see to, uh, to focus on more? Because I feel like there was a lot of areas touched on immigration policy, but, you know, there was no uh, talk about increase in immig- immigration judges or increase in uh, detention space. D- do you have any additional thoughts on whether or not, you know, what else could be included to make it more of a, a gold standard plan? Sure. So, I, I mean, the, the problem is, like I said, part of why it's a distraction is because a lot of the details was on the visa reform. But in terms of the immediate crisis, the border, they talk about, well, closing the asylum loophole. They use general jargon. There weren't a lot of specific proposals in there. Um, As you know, my longstanding view has been that you don't need a new immigration law to have sovereignty. Mm -hmm. I don't believe what's going on at the border is an immigration issue. I think there's a lot of important immigration questions, such as our visa system. It's a sovereignty issue. It's a national security issue. You're talking about transnational crime and the cartels coming in. The president has inherent executive uh, authority under Article 2 as well as delegated authority under 8 U.S.C. 1182-F to shut down that border, close all immigration requests anytime he wants at the border, some all can uh, make conditions on it. He needs to, as he said, shut it off until we know what in the world is going on. That's what he said with the travel ban. Mm-hmm. And this is certainly more of an imminent problem. I would like to see more of the, that, that in terms of executive policy. In terms of legislation, I, again, I think it's a policy problem, not a resource problem, but I think the biggest resource that we do need is more ICE ERO, mm-hmm. um, enforcement or removal. Because we've had so many problems, I just reported literally um, today 
Uh, I broke news at Conservative Review, got exclusive information from ICE. There's a lot of MS-13 activity in PG County, Maryland. Well, two of the individuals that were involved in the recent MS-13 machete killing of a 14-year-old, they were brought as family units or UACs recently settled there. Mm -hmm. But um, they were actually previously released by the county police, even though they were arrested a year ago, on attempted murder and a gang-related murder. Unbelievable. The problem is, so A, we need to address sanctuaries, and I wish that would have been in there too, mm-hmm. punishing sanctuaries, maybe a private cause of action for victims of sanctuaries. But I do think because of the sanctuaries, we need more resources because they simply cannot keep track of the degree of criminality, even just to focus just on the criminal aliens. They don't have enough resources to remove them all. Daniel, this is Preston. I just have a question for you going off of uh, the point you brought up about um, PG County, because that's, that's obviously a tragedy and um, even worse, you know, it could have been avoided. You know, you mentioned that there obviously are things the federal government can do, you know, without action from Congress to stop what's going on at the southern border. You know, what can the government do to, you know, bring these sanctuary you know, jurisdictions into line? I mean, c- certainly there's got to be something. You know, so so that's the frustrating thing, because sanctuaries, in my view, is the one thing that I actually do think you need new legislation to punish, to, um, you know, have a carrot and stick approach with them that's not in current law, whereas the border, you know, expedited removal, the criterion for asylum, the discretion given to the agents, I mean, that's all in current law. The president's ability is uh, when he feels it's detrimental to shut off immigration. Um, here, I do think, in general, you do need... Um, you know, you, you need either more resources and legislation, because remember, ICE is smaller than the NYPD, and they're national in scope. <laughs> uh, they, they simply don't have, they, they, they just don't have people in all the jails, and they just, it, it's too hard to, to monitor, um, which is why I really would like to see private cause of action given to private citizens like families like Kate Steinle, Bambi Larson, mm-hmm. um, Ronald Singe, all people from California who were killed because of criminal aliens that were released in defiance of detainers, you open up another front, not just having the feds punish them, but private citizens could go after these jurisdictions. They might give you this bravado and say, hey, uh, there's barely any crime committed by illegals, but they know that's not true, and they right. know that if we had that opportunity to have a private cause of action. They'd be in big trouble. Nobody likes sanctuaries. The polling on the issue is decisive. Ron DeSantis is doing very good as governor in Florida there. Um, a Quinnipiac poll show showed it as a winning issue in every single demographic. To me, it is a mystery why this Republican-controlled Senate has not brought up a single piece of legislation on this in light of any of these high-profile um, criminal alien homicides in defiance of a detainer. Right. You know, Daniel, what's also interesting going off of that point is, uh, at least FAIR has calculated here that in the year 2000, there were only 11 sanctuary jurisdictions in the entire country, 11. But now, as of 2018, this number has jumped to 564, which is amazing because, like you said, you know, polling indicates that so many people are opposed to sanctuary jurisdictions, and we've had, you know, a Republican-controlled Senate for years now, and they still seem to be sprouting up around the country. Why do you think that is? You know, I, the, the reality is that it's divide and conquer. When they build so many constituencies and are, they're able to come and remain in the country, 
in the very areas where we need the most robust operations to remove them, that is where they have the strongest political support. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you mentioned the hundreds of sanctuaries, but there's hundreds more that I call soft sanctuaries, where they won't downright defy a, a, an ICE detainer, but, but they're not going to notify them either. So you know, if they have someone they suspect of being illegal, um, that they feel because of our criminal justice system in general they have to let out on bond, and they're going to be a consummate flight risk, but they could give it over to ICE, they will just ensure that they're not turned over. And sometimes they have people stationed in the jails, but not every jail 24-7, and they're going to miss that. Mm-hmm. So that's a big problem, especially with a lot of the urban areas. Picture a Dallas. You know, Dallas is an area that I think is, is kind of like that. Uh, pursuant to state law, they cannot defy an ICE detainer, but we found cases where they didn't actively um, just notify them when, when they were obviously illegal immigrants that, that were very problematic, and then they went on to commit more crimes thereafter. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. To me, it is a mystery why Republicans um, do not take this up. It's a mystery why, when they had control of the House and the Senate for two years, they did not bring up the Davis-Oliver Interior Enforcement mm-hmm. Bill that I know you guys were, were pushing hard for. Um, it, is, it is truly bizarre. I mean, we might talk about Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats and how important it is to uh, change the orientation of the House come 2020. But I think what some of your activists need to be asking is, best case scenario, what changes in 2021 if it's a repeat of the first two years? Now, going back to the White House uh, plan proposed last week, one thing that was not mentioned at all was putting pressure on more pressure on Mexico and the Northern Triangle countries. Um, would you have liked to see the White House, you know, kind of establish or explicitly state some kind of additional, uh, you know, regulations or, I guess, call to action to these countries? Because, you know, you see, it seems, you know, every other week there's a, a new caravan coming. Uh, they're not doing much to stop it, despite the, the hundreds of millions of dollars of international aid we give these Northern Triangle countries. Migrants are still fleeing their countries at record numbers. So would you like to see this in the uh, White House immigration proposal? To me, it's inconceivable why this hasn't been done. For example, even Barack Obama, you know, you look at the UAC crisis in 2014, the numbers were really only that steep in the spring, the summer. It didn't go on that long before it was, I don't want to say shut down completely, but it, it certainly um, was halted in mass numbers. The Obama administration did events there. Uh, saying don't go, they they actually spent uh, they had a budget where they put out ads saying you're going to be deported. They did start airlifts back to um, to uh, Central America. Mm-hmm. You look back at some of Barack Obama's statements, and they were very strong. Um, basically, hey, you know, we're, we're all for asylum, but you know, we're going to repatriate. They used that term. They didn't just say humanitarian crisis, we need more resources. They talked about deportation. Now, you know, I think between us, some of that was the fact that the new influx hurt Obama's case for long-term amnesty. For those already here, that was his focus. But nonetheless, I mean, that, that is what he talked about. So it's a mystery mm-hmm. to me why they haven't gotten tougher. I mean, I would demand from the Central American countries, you know, using all the leverage we have over them, that they become each other's safe 
third-party country. Mm-hmm. So those from El Salvador, well, Honduras will accept them. Those from Honduras, uh, Guatemala will accept them. Again, I think we all know none of this is about persecution. It's all about economic reasons and family Absolutely. reunification. But if we're going to speak legally that that's what's driving it, I think that is a way that will certainly get around all the loopholes because then they would all become third-party countries. I, I'll tell you in all honesty what, what does concern me is that they really believe that this is such a good campaign issue, they're going to just let this go. And that, that is my biggest concern. And I understand making it a campaign issue, but my gosh, this is we have another year and a half right. of this. And right. I, I just can't imagine a year and a half worth of 100,000 apprehensions a month. Absolutely not. I mean, in fact, I think it's if May has over 100,000 apprehensions like the previous two months, I think that's a, a record since 2006 in terms of three consecutive months of over 100,000 apprehensions. So that would be absolutely crazy. And I'm sure you've seen in the news that in the Rio Grande sector, they're now flying illegal aliens to San Diego because there's just no more detention space anymore. And, and this just speaks to the fundamental violation of the social contract. Let, let's just go back to the philosophy behind this. If you read our immigration laws, and certainly is updated in IRA, IRA 1996, FAIR was very involved in, with mm-hmm. the crafting of that legislation. It passed the Senate unanimously by voice vote, uh, just to show how uh, universal the idea of stopping at least illegal immigration was at the time, was always that illegal the American people should never be on the hook for any doubt of status. So the notion was, it says in AUSC 1225, shall be detained. Mm-hmm. That everyone pending this shall be detained. There was a very strict criterion for what is asylum. Um, there were no exceptions for children. There were no exceptions for time limits. It, it spelled out very clearly. There was supposed to be expedited removal for anyone here um, for less than two years with no oversight from an immigration judge, much less an Article Three federal judge. The lawfare was supposed to end. And to, to me, that's really the lesson here. Even if you agree with such a process, they should be held off our shores. So what, what bothers me is that once we're already flying them often in 1,200 miles away from where they came in, mm-hmm. why can't they be flown to a safe place on one of our military bases? I mean, look, this is what we did with the Haitians. Right. We interdicted them, H.W. Bush, Clinton, 92-93, they kept them at Guantanamo. And by the way, 10,000 of them wound up being approved. There was more legitimacy there. The Ardazide regime was overthrown. Here, there's no legitimacy to the claims. There's nothing that has happened regime-wise there. It's all a scam. It's all literally commensurate with uh, district, district court rulings. At some point, either you have a country or you don't. And at some point, Trump needs to speak directly to statute, directly to longstanding Supreme Court case law on these issues, and he needs to say, you cannot have a single district judge um, governing foreign policy, because, again, the reason why the courts said for so many years that, that, the, that the judiciary has no influence over the right to enter the country mm-hmm. was because it was inherent. This is not the Shaughnessy 1950 Supreme Court decision. It's the, the right to exclude stems not alone from legislative power, but is inherent in the executive power to control the foreign affairs of the nation. I know you're uh, short on time here. I want to give you one more quote here. Sure. These di- the judges are coming out of the Northern District of California. 
here's a great nugget for you. <laughs> that very court, Northern District of California, in 1996 said, the exclusion of aliens is a fundamental act of sovereignty. The right to do so stems not alone from legislative power, but is inherent in the executive power to control the foreign affairs of the nation, quoting that Supreme Court case. And they noted that this deals with sensitive diplomatic relationships. And I think you touched on it, Preston, that you know, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes negotiating with Mexico with Central America. How in the world could this be a gestatiable issue in the courts? And I think that is really something we need to militate against, the premise that caravans could get standing to begin with to control our destiny. Absolutely. All right. Well, great stuff as always from Conservative Review, Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Uh, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today, but it's been a real pleasure, and it's always great uh, to hear your insight on immigration policy and news today. Uh, thanks for coming on, Daniel. Great. Looking forward to coming back. <laughs>